All right, we are searching for wisdom uh, during this summer, and I think it's a good search to be on, isn't it? Uh, we need it, our country needs it, our world needs it, but most of all, we need it, right? To get back to just the basic search, we need it for ourselves. We need it not only to make uh, good decisions in life, we also need it as a way of living in the world. And so that's what we're searching for. And the good news is this. We are actually searching for wisdom in all the right places because we're turning to the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. This collection of uh, books that we find kind of in the middle of the Bible, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Now, in the Hebrew collection of scriptures, it's not all lumped together. They're kind of interspersed in different ways. We kind of uh, segregate them and group them together so they're having their own party, these wisdom books. Uh, but we're meant to see that it infiltrates, it permeates the whole of Scripture because wisdom is so essential. God used wisdom in the creation of the world, and God sent wisdom in the person of His Son. And so we see this all throughout Scripture. So last week, we looked at Job, and we saw wisdom in our suffering. That wisdom is a reality that we need to have in times of sorrow, in times of grief. And today, we're going to look at Psalms. Now, I, don't, I know we don't often think of Psalms as wisdom literature, but it really is. And Psalms gives us wisdom in our worship, and that's what we're going to explore. So we have 150 of these uh, ancient, uh, this ancient collection of Hebrew poems and Psalms and prayers. Many of them are meant to be sung in public. Some of them are private kind of grievances against God. There's lament and there's praise. There's all kinds, a whole range of these poems and psalms and prayers. And many are by, who's the biggest author perhaps? King David. Yeah, he wrote, I think, 73 or he's attributed to 73 of these psalms. But here's the thing I want to note, and this will help you if you decide to read the psalms today or over the next two weeks. This is not a random collection. It didn't just sort of happen over time and, oh, this is a good one, and here's a, this isn't like a, just a top 150 that was assembled over time. These are very intentionally put together. There's a structure to this collection. And once you begin to unlock the structure, you actually tap into some of the meaning that we find here. And the way to unlock the structure is to start at the end. There's actually five psalms that rounds out this collection, and they all start with hallelujah, right? Hallelujah is a command. Praise Yah. Praise God. Yah is kind of the, the short-form name, divine name. And so this is a command, and those five psalms of command of praise come right at the end of this collection. Why five? That's what we're meant to ask. Well, we also see, if you read carefully, even in our English translations, there's actually five books in the collection. So you'll encounter in your Bibles, book one, and then it'll go through, and then book two, all the way to book five. There's five books in this collection of Psalms, which is very intriguing. And each, each book ends with kind of a phrase that says, may the Lord God of Israel be blessed forevermore, amen and amen. And that rounds out the book. Why five? Well, we get the clue as to why five when we go to the introduction. Psalm 1 and 2 gives a bit of an introduction. It really stands outside of book 1. 
So I know in our English Bibles, we put book one right at Psalm one, but it actually starts at Psalm three. Psalm one and two give us an introduction. And Psalm one gives us the greatest clue as to why five. It says, blessed is the one who meditates on God's law day and night. So the law of God is what? The Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, Deuteronomy, five. And so the Psalms end up being kind of like this new Torah. Well, maybe not a new Torah, maybe a reflection or an expression of the law that's put into kind of worship form. And so as you read through the Psalms, I know generally we tend to pick our, the favorite ones, right? <laughs> we stay away from Psalm 119, it's too long. We go to Psalm 117 because it's nice and short. Or we go to the ones that are positive and praiseworthy. We don't read the ones that talk about children and rocks and smashing of heads and stuff like that. So it, there, there are some troubling things even in the Psalms. But my encouragement is with that structure in mind, read it from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. Maybe not in one sitting. Maybe it'll take two. But read it through as it's been assembled, and I think you'll get a sense of the flow of this collection of poetry and psalms and prayers. Together, this is the prayer book of Israel, right? Sometimes you say the song book of Israel. I think more precisely the prayer book of Israel, and it gives us a language for worship, and that's really important. We need that. I think sometimes in our struggles, sometimes in our sorrows, sometimes in our confusion, we need a language for worship. Sometimes we come to prayer and we don't know what to pray or how to pray. Psalms give us a language for worship. And that's what we find when we come to the Psalms. So, Psalm 111 we're going to read today. I had to pick just one, and so I chose this one for a reason. It is a hallelujah psalm. And this whole idea of hallelujah, it seems very common in our language in some ways, at least within the church, right? If we say something good is happening, we, hallelujah! I don't know if we really say that, but maybe we say it when we come to church. Uh, I remember preaching in India one time and uh, with the congregation, and they were long services. The services were so long that while I was sitting on stage on the platform, somebody brought me a snack. I'm not kidding. And you know how awkward it is to be sitting there drinking some hot coffee in the sweltering heat and eating some fruit while everybody else is staring at you and the service is going on, but they were long services. But if ever you wanted to kind of stir up the congregation a little bit, if you felt they were falling behind because the translator was preaching obvious his own sermon <laughs> as he was going through, because it was way longer than what I just said. But uh, as the service went on, you'd just say, hallelujah, and everybody would say back, they were louder, but, but it's kind of this hallelujah. Well, hallelujah isn't everywhere in the Bible. That might be a surprise to you. It really only occurs in Psalms, 24 times, in fact. It occurs in Revelation four times, but the rest of the Bible, it's absent. So this is a very interesting directive that we have in the Psalms. It's not even an invitation. It's not even a suggestion. It's a command. Praise God. Praise God. Over and over we find in the Psalms. Well, there's four collections of these Hallelujah Psalms, and Psalm 111 starts off the Passover Hallel, the Passover collection. And so these Psalms would be read during Passover time. And so that's what we start off. So along with Psalm 112, and this is one final interesting tidbit before we read the Psalm, 
Along with Psalm 112, this is an alphabet psalm. Not alphabet soup, but alphabet psalm. That means that each new line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's kind of an acrostic as it goes through. And this was a, an aid to memory, but also shows the care and intentionality about crafting this beautiful, beautiful psalm. We ready to read? With all that background? Okay, here we go. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. That's the hallelujah part. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. So we know that this is meant to be a community expression. Given in community, it's so good to be able to be together as we worship, and there's a place for that, right? Verse 2. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. He gives food to those who fear him. He always remembers his covenant. He has shown his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. And he, all he does is just and good. And all his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true. To be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name he has. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forevermore. Beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's astonishing just how beautiful this collection of words is as we read it and we're able to read it together. There's themes of creation and covenant as Matt was sharing today. This God reminds us constantly of his goodness and his grace and his power. Just go outside and look around. Never mind going outside. Look at your neighbor. Look at the complexity of one another. Look at the beauty of the image of God as we see in one another. If we can focus on that rather than our differences and our disagreements and our disunity, perhaps we will see something of God's favor as we look at the creation even in ourselves. But the psalm goes on to talk about law and liberty. It goes on to talk about redemption, both in the past and into the future. And there's the theme of wisdom, which we see is woven throughout all of these wisdom uh, collections. And we see it again, just as we saw in Proverbs in the first sermon, just as we saw in Job, we see it again in Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the key. If we're searching for wisdom, come to understand the fear of the Lord. That's the key. And it's not easy. We have to wrestle with that. We have to grasp that. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning. That's the starting place. That's the starting point. Remember, it's not being afraid of God. Remember that Adam and Eve were afraid of God because they did not fear the Lord. <laughs> to fear the Lord is to keep His commandments. Adam and Eve showed that they didn't fear the Lord because they disobeyed His commandments. And what's the greatest commandment of all? Love one another. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love one another. And when we don't love one another, when we don't love the stranger, when we don't love our neighbor, we show in some respect that we don't fear God. So, to fear God is to obey His commands out of reverence and awe. 
I was uh, traveling home. Christy and I were traveling home yesterday. We took an opportunity to get on the motorbike, pack up our camping gear, head out to the East Kootenays. We took some back roads and some dirt roads and had a blast, camped out near Fairmont, and then made our way back up uh, the Forest uh, Service Road, if some of you know that road that comes up, and five, I can remember the roads. They were dirt, they were gravel. We just went until we found a place of civilization. But as we're coming along this one dirt road, and I've got a picture of it, uh, we stopped because the view was spectacular. Now, unfortunately, Christine got me in the view, but it's there for a purpose. I said, at least you would have let me pull my pants up or stand straight or something. But it, it was just astonishing, and it's hard to tell, but we're actually really, really high up looking down over this valley, and so we're just loving this view, enjoying it, when suddenly we hear the rushing of a mighty wind. And it wasn't the Spirit of God. Well, maybe it was the Spirit of God, but it was rushing. And we, you know, when the hairs in the back of your neck kind of stand up, if you had hair on your head, it, it just kind of, it was an eerie feeling, just this rushing and roar of the wind. And we turned around and looked up, and behind us, not in this shot, is Hailstone Butte. Some of you may have heard of it or seen it. Massive, towering mountain. And there was this huge, dark, ominous cloud that was coming over, and the wind was rushing, just roaring down the face of the mountain. And Christine and I said, we should go. We should probably go now. But when you stand at this point and you're looking, it's like, I'm the king of the world. You just feel a sense of accomplishment. We rode here on our motorbike and it was gnarly. And so you get there and you're just king of the world. And all of a sudden you turn around and like, I'm really, really small. You ever feel that when you stand just in the presence of God and in the awe of God? I think that's part of the fear of the Lord. We weren't afraid for our lives, but we realize our place in the world. We realized our vulnerability as we turned around and stood in awe of this massive mountain and this cloud and the wind and everything else. And the earth, the creation, reminded us of God's awesomeness. I think in some ways that's the fear of the Lord. Just the reminder of who we are in relation to Him and a reminder of our place in this world. Well, Psalms helps us maintain this perspective by inviting but even commanding us to worship God in holy reverence and awe, but together with love and confidence. That's a big part of it. Worship centers our lives. I have this quote from Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson was my professor at Regent College, and uh, I, I just find this quote so helpful and profound. And here it is. Worship, says Eugene Peterson, is a meeting at the center so that our lives are centered in God and not lived eccentrically. I love that. We worship so that we live in response to and from this center, the living God. Failure to worship consigns us to a life of spasm and jerks at the mercy of ever, every advertisement, every seduction, every siren. Without worship, we live manipulated and manipulating lives. If there is no center, there is no circumference. People who do not worship are swept into a vast restlessness epidemic in the world with no steady direction and no sustaining purpose. Wow. Sometimes we wonder, why do we worship? And I know that, that all of life is worship. We've touched that. And we need to lift everything up to God. But there's something unique all throughout Scripture about the assembling of the saints for worship. 
the coming together as a regular habit of worship. And we do so so that our lives become centered in God, so that we live from that center. That's the fear of the Lord. That's what Psalms invites us to do. So, how do we read this collection of Hebrew poems and psalms and prayers in order to gain greater wisdom? Well, an author, Walter Brueggemann, uh, he links the different kinds of psalms with different conditions in the human life. And if you're at Joy 55 Plus uh, last month, you will heard a little bit of this. So this is a repeat uh, for some of our benefit. The psalms, Walter Brueggemann says, help the faithful community pray through three different conditions of human life. Condition one, orientation. Condition two, disorientation. And condition three, new orientation. And we can find this. Of all the 150 psalms, we can kind of group the psalms not only into five books or different kinds, but into these three expressions of the condition of human life. Psalms of orientation are like Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Times of orientation. Those are the, the times when we feel the good life. We feel things are right in the world. We feel things are, are right in our lives. Things are going well for us. Have you ever experienced those times? I, I hope you have. Maybe not right now. But I hope that there's been a moment. Maybe we don't, for a sustained period of time, feel it. But maybe there's a moment. Maybe it's just a memory. But there's seasons of orientation. King David had it. Seasons where, where he looked around and goes, everything is right in the world. Everything is orderly. And here's the challenge of the Psalms. Praise God when things are going well. Praise God in times of orientation, in times where you feel like you're heading in the right direction, where life is on track, where things are going good for you. Because the temptation is to forget God when life is good. Because we lull ourselves into a false sense of security, don't we? When we begin to say, well, the bank account's good, and my health is pretty good, and everything is good, and look at me, I'm doing it. Look at me, mom, I'm walking, I'm even running. And we, we tend to attribute all of this success to our own powers, and then pride comes before a fall, right? So it's so important in times of orientation to praise God. This is wisdom. Worship God when life is good. Worship God when life is good. But life isn't always good, is it? Life is sometimes pretty tough. It's been tough the last few years. It's been tough for many people personally in a variety of different ways. And so we have psalms of disorientation. And many of them, in fact, the bulk of the psalms are disorientation psalms. That tells us something about the reality of our lives. Psalm 137 says this, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Some of you are singing it in your head right now, aren't you? I know you are. By the rivers of Babylon, right? Well, before Boney M sang it, it was in the Psalms. It was in the Psalms. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. A psalm of disorientation. Where are we? How did we get here? What are we going to do here? We've lost so much. That's a proper expression of worship to God. That's what Psalms of Disorientation gives us. And it challenges us to praise God when things are not going well. That's important too. 
to, for, to not forget to praise God when things are not going well. We arrived home last night and we heard from Christine's sister up in Pinoca that a massive wind and hailstorm had swept through that Pinoca region uh, just up uh, just south of Edmonton. Didn't touch Gull Lake, didn't touch Pigeon Lake, just kind of went right through Pinoca. And they sent us pictures of their brand new building they were putting up. It's all destroyed. All, the whole thing has come down. Their house, the siding of their house is all torn apart by hail. All their cars are damaged. She's just coming back from a holiday time with her mom and dad down at the coast. She comes home to this. How discouraging. What is she supposed to do during that time? Well, the call is to worship. But not come out, not the kind of worship that's happy and clappy and, oh God, thank you for sending that hail. I just needed this lesson in life. That's not what we're supposed to do. God doesn't want us to be dishonest with our emotions. I think what the Psalms gives us is permission to be honest before God. God, this is terrible. God, I don't know why this happened. God, I don't know where I am right now. I don't know what to do next. All of that is in the Psalms. That is also an act of worship. If we value God, then we will count Him worthy of our sorrow and our loss, of our confusion and our pain. Remember when I was a younger father and my girls would come to me with either complaints or they'd come to me with problems or they'd come to me with concerns. I felt anxiety rising in myself. What, am I, what if I'm not going to be able to answer their problem? You know, what if I'm not going to be able to solve it? We as dads, we want to solve everything, right? And, uh, and I, I panicked a little bit. Or I'd get frustrated. Oh, you, you guys, you're complaining again, and you just don't know how good you've got it, right? Now that I'm getting to be an older father, I realize this, that when my daughters come to me with some complaints or concerns, it's not necessarily so that I can solve everything, but it's out of a sense of respect and trust. They're willing to trust me with their complaints. They value me enough to be honest with me. Isn't that amazing when someone values you enough to be honest with you? That's all God's asking for, that we be honest with Him. That's how we show the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord in times of disorientation is sharing with God our sorrow and our loss, our confusion, our pain. This is the wisdom of worship. And we need to hold on to that. So a season of orientation and disorientation, but then, thank God, there are also seasons of new orientation. Seasons when God puts us back on our feet. When we can kind of find our way again. When we don't feel like we're just drowning all the time. Just barely keeping our head up above water. Psalm 30 is that kind of psalm. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. These are among some of the best loved psalms, but the only way we get to new orientation is actually through disorientation. That's the way it kind of works in life, isn't it? These psalms help us pray with a new confidence, a new zest for life, springing out of the, the death that we've just experienced shining in a world which was once filled with shadows. 
That's what psalms of new orientation give to us. It's when God restores our joy and our peace and our confidence. What do we do with that? We worship. We lift it up to God. We worship. So, the essential wisdom is this. Worship is our response to God, no matter how we feel about the circumstances of life. It's not dependent on our feelings. It's not dependent on our circumstances. In the end, we offer our honest worship to God. Here's another quote from Eugene Peterson as we wrap up today. He says this, We live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. You might have to read that a couple times to really get it. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. It starts with the act, even when we don't feel it, right? When we obey the command to praise God and worship, our deep essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. Regardless of the circumstances of life, we worship honestly before God, even sometimes when we don't feel like it. We bring the sacrifice of praise, and sometimes it feels like a sacrifice, up to God. So, what condition of life are you facing today? I know some of your conditions of life and mine too. Some of us are in times maybe of orientation where we feel like things are on track, but I think very few of us, to be honest. Many of us are in times of disorientation. A lot of uncertainty still. A lot of wondering, what's going to come in September and October? What's going to happen? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to you know, feed my family? Those things are realities that many people are facing. How am I going to cope with this loss? How am I going to cope with changes in health? Times of disorientation, I think a bulk of us are in the middle of that. But I hope, even as a congregation, as we head towards September, it'll be a time of new orientation. A time when we feel God is putting us on our feet again and moving us forward in a way that makes sense. Regardless of what season we're in, we worship. That's the wisdom of the Psalms. Worship God in reverence and awe because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every reminder of your power. Whether we go out into the world around us and we're in such a a beautiful place, stunning scenery. But we don't have to look far to see your wisdom. We see it in one another. We see your image stamped upon our, our neighbor, stamped upon the stranger walking the street. We see your image on the people that are asking for money as they walk down the parked cars at the stoplight. We, we see your image in the person who's facing suffering and sorrow, and we see your image even in our own families. We, we see it everywhere, everywhere, Father, and pray that that might be a reminder of your presence and a reminder to treat one another with the dignity that we treat you. Father, help us to worship. Help us to offer up this sacrifice of praise. For those that are in times of disorientation especially, I pray that you would sustain them and strengthen them. Give them the courage to be honest before you, knowing that you hear us, and that you love us so we can cast all our cares on you 
because you care for us. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.